All right. Well, our passage of Scripture today is going to be out of Exodus chapter 21. We're going to be starting there, starting in verse 33. Exodus chapter 21, verses 33 and following. Listen carefully, for this is God's word to us. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit, and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck down so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him, and he shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox or for a donkey or for a sheep or for a cloak or of any kind of lost thing of which it says, this is it, the cause of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and, the, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for your word in which every part of it is worthy of instruction and for training and for correction and reproof so that we may be equipped for your work. Lord, I pray that you would illumine our eyes to see this text this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. This is another one of those passages where, upon first looking at it, it's hard to see exactly why this is still here for us. 
Admittedly, probably not many of us have had a lot of dealings with oxen or sheep. We've not had them stolen from us, nor are we stealing them from our neighbors. We don't have a rash of sheep theft going on in Bruton today. But that doesn't mean that this text still isn't very, very practical for us to see. Indeed, there's a lot of things here in, in Exodus and in these laws that were tempted to just skip over or not see the, the, the relevance for it. But yet there's a lot of principles and things and um, teachings that we can draw from these laws that are indeed useful to our lives and indeed practical for our lives as well, and things that we can point to as useful. One of the first things that we can take a look at is in these first few verses in chapter back to 21 and in verses 33 through 36, we have something that seems very practical for us to do. It teaches us that there is a, we are to try to, as best we can, prevent injury proactively. In other words, to take responsibility for the things that we do. And for the things even that we fail to do. If we create a hazard, a potential hazard, and something happens in that, we're called to make that right. So while we don't have oxen running around, we do have, if we're playing baseball in the front yard, and due to our negligence, we smash the ball right through our neighbor's front window, there's a call to restitution there. Or there's a call if we're looking at our, if we are ignoring the, the maintenance light on our car, and we're saying, it's like, we'll just hang on to this thing, and it turns out there's something serious with our car. We slam down on the brake and nothing happens. We're liable for those things that we have ignored. Very simple and practical, and that's, maybe that's as much as we think that we can draw from this. But there's more. When we look into these passages, it's often hard for us to see exactly how gracious these laws are to us and are to the people of Israel here. Because since we don't deal with oxen, since we're not an agrarian society anymore, we don't see how important and what is being said here. So, for example, if you were to look in other ancient law codes, oxen are really important because that would have been your chief way of making money, chief way of making a living. It would have been, an ox would have been comparable to a truck full of tools today because your oxen could be used to plow, it could be used for food. Indeed, a lot of people tied their wealth to how, many, to how much oxen that they had. So you can see when people were reading this thing, when they were first going through and they realized, all right, if, I've done, if I have pulled out a big section of my yard and an oxen has fallen in and killed it, that means I have to replace it. That means I probably have to give him mine. If you've only got one oxen, you've just said goodbye to all of your plowing, to all of your money, to all of your hauling, your transportation. All of that is gone to restore it. But yet it notes here at the very end, it says that the dead beast shall be his. That means you can have the meat. You might be out the, the, the transportation, you might be out the work, you might be out some of the money, but you still have this food that you can survive with. Indeed, we see this in a lot of these laws that how this is meant to protect both the person that is receiving the money, who's been the victim of a problem, but also the one who's making the restitution for that problem. Both of them are being protected. We can even see this as we go Further in, as we go into chapter 22, talking about if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills and sells it, he'll, um, he will repay five. But if he steals it and keeps a hold of it, he's only going to have to restore two. 
So, if he had tried to steal somebody's living and stolen the truck full of all the tools and then sold it off so this way it would be impossible for the person to get it back, that's a greater crime. It's a greater punishment. Having the crime fit the punishment is a rather innovative thing for ancient law. The fact that this rule is the same whether you are rich or poor is a huge difference in ancient culture. So, for example, there is the law code of Hammurabi. You could have to, if you stole a sheep from somebody in the middle class, you might have to restore them tenfold for one missing sheep. Here, the maximum is four. However, if you stole it from a richer person, someone who had more influence, you could be up to 30-fold of restoration for your sheep. And if you couldn't pay anything, if you, were, if you weren't able to give back 30 sheep, and if you're stealing one sheep, you probably don't have 30 other ones laying around, then you would simply be executed if you couldn't pay. But this law would say, if you can't pay, you're going to be put into slavery. And as we found out last week, Hebrew slavery was very different. The maximum you could serve was six years. You could work, you had rights, and when you left, you could keep. So you could work your way back. You weren't just simply executed. We tend to think that, that when we look at Old Testament laws, like this seems really harsh. But as we look back, this is actually quite a merciful law. Uh, this is something that is making sure that both the, the one who is sinned against and the sinner is both protected appropriately. And there's one other thing that we can see here with, with these restitution models. Again, we go into verses 5 and 6, that if a field is destroyed, that you are to restore it out of the best of your own. If your animal gets out of the gate and starts eating up some of the grass of your neighbor's property, there's no dispute. It's just like, well, that wasn't a very valuable piece of grass. You don't, I don't really have to make that right. So it's no, you're going, to make the, you're going to make restitution out of the best. The reason for that is we're not to, that the, the call for God's law here is not just to restore the thing that was lost, but to also restore the relationship that has been broken. So restoring a relationship is what this restitution is about. You can imagine how, the, how you might view me if I was to come into your place of employment and somehow destroy it, whether accidentally or otherwise. If I was to simply restore to you what I had broken, I've done the minimum of all that I can do. I've just restored to you what you've already had. But you can still think back in your mind, it's like, this man still destroyed my entire office. I was out of this work for a week. But if I was to restore to you back, it's like, here's the best of everything that I have. I'm going to give you back double of what you lost. There's that restoration of relationship. There is the feeling that he, is, he feels remorse for what's happened. And there is an effort to restore this relationship. And that's what we see continuing into our latter part of these verses as we see rules for those that have lent out to neighbors. They didn't have banks with safety deposit boxes back in those days. So if you were going to go somewhere, you left your valuables with a neighbor. And they have a procedure. If your stuff turns up missing, your neighbor has a way of defending himself, has a, has a process of going before God to make sure that justice can be served. So how does this work for us? Again, we're not in these situations. We're not in a place where we're called to, we don't deal with these types of things. But we could see how this situation can be applied into our own lives. 
there is a tendency in our society today to, to avoid as much responsibility as possible. To apologize and to make right as little as possible just to get ourselves out of trouble. To save face for ourselves. No one wants to take ownership for things. We want to try to find a way to block and blame and shift it off of ourselves as much as we can. But what this law is trying to teach the people is that there should be a willingness to when we have truly done something wrong, whether we meant to or not, there is something that has gone wrong and needs that restoration. But there is a place that we can see this sort of attitude maintained in the New Testament. And it comes from a really unexpected figure. In Luke chapter 19, we find the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, wee little man that he was, was a very large criminal. Would have been hated in his society because he was a tax collector, a sellout to the Roman Empire, skimming off money for his, to line his own pockets. But yet, for some reason, this was the man that Jesus said he wanted to come to his house, shocking everybody else around him. And what we see is a change of Zacchaeus' heart when he recognizes that, indeed, he has stolen from his neighbor. But notice what he wants to give them back. Does he give them back twofold? Because that's the requirement of the law here. But he doesn't. He gives them fourfold back. In fact, if you were, we don't have time to, t- to take a look at this in depth, but in Leviticus, you don't have to pay back double if you confess that you stole it. If you confess that you stole it and bring it back, you only had to give 125% back. A quarter of the value of what you've stolen was in restitution. Here, Zacchaeus is admitting what he's done, repenting of his sin, but he is giving back extra. And beyond that, he wants to give back half of his, half of his goods to the poor. As one commentator pointed out, he, is, sir, he wants to serve the Lord immediately in the very area that he was sinning against God most, which is his money. This is a heart that has been transformed. A heart that is, that recognizes the grace that has been shown to him so deeply that he says, I will give back even more than I have to because I want to repent. I want to make this right. And the only way that he can have such a heart like that is if something like that has been done for him. We love being on the other end of restitution. We love having someone come back and say, it's just like, well, I have really done you wrong, so let me give you back this plus extra. It's harder when we're on this side, on the other side of that, especially when on the other side of the sin is God himself. We can see how if you have done that the punishment would, punishment would fit the crime here in this Old Testament passage. You stole an ox, you give two back. You stole it and killed it, you give five back. But how on earth can we repay something where we have sinned against the God of the universe? How do we give something like that back? How can we make restitution on a, on a crime that's that large? How is it possible that we can make it good? And in our culture, we try very hard. 
We want as best as we can to make it good with God so this way we don't owe, uh, owe anyone anything. We don't like to be in debt. But what we find when we look to our standing with God, we find that's a debt that's unpayable on our own. The only way if we were to look at things, look at this with laws, it's like, well, let's sell ourselves into slavery. Maybe if I can work my way for God, do good things for God, attend church, maybe go to the mission field, become a pastor, give, give myself up in service, and maybe God will love me. And that's not how it works either. There's no way that we could repay God back no matter how much we work for him. No matter how much good we try to do to replace the bad that we've done, it's all tainted with the desire that I don't want to owe God. What we need is someone else to come in and pay our restitution. We need someone else to stand in the breach to give what we cannot. And that's exactly who was sitting across from Zacchaeus in our Passage in Luke 19. Zacchaeus owed a tremendous debt, not only to the people that he stole from, but to the God of whose people he was. And sitting in front of him was the restitution. It wasn't his saying, I'm going to give back fourfold and half my goods to the poor, that Jesus said, ah, well done, welcome to the kingdom. You've, you've paid your dues. You've got the admission. That's not how it worked. It was Jesus saying, I've paid that restitution. I've paid your debt with God more than you ever could. And on that basis, we can say, I've been restored to God. How much more do I want to restore to other people? To be gracious to other people when you've been sinned against and to be repentant to other people when it's your turn, that you've been the sinner. We can be generous. We don't have to worry about making sure that we have gotten our due that they're not taking more from me than is necessary. We don't have to worry about that. Be gracious to the people. Be reasonable. God, God puts that there. But it's to be generous and to say we have been restored from so much. God has provided that restitution. So what can we take away from this passage as a whole? Looking back to our Exodus passage, what is our life takeaway, if we can have one? The underlying principle that we can gain is to be as responsible as we can. There is a call not to be reckless. And be joyfully willing to make it right when you're not been responsible. The scripture being practical. Being responsible as we can and joyfully willing to make it right when... It, Joyfully willing to make it right when we're not, knowing that Jesus has forgiven you and has restored you to himself. It's only on that basis that we have been restored that we can turn and want to restore to others, to heal that relationship, to go beyond just an I'm sorry, but to make that right, because that has been made right for us. In a moment, we will be celebrating and remembering, being reminded, and being nourished in our Lord's Supper in just a moment. And I ask that as we come to this, that we recognize that we come to this table because God has made restitution for us. We're only able to come to this table because God has opened up that way.
that we are worthy to come because Christ has made us worthy because we are in him today. Let us now go before our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our holy God and merciful Father, we thank you for restoring us to yourself. Lord, that it would be impossible for us to come before you. It would be impossible to restore that relationship without your work. And I pray that we would remember that fully, that you would impress upon us just how much you have done for us in your Son. Lord, I thank you for this text and for what it teaches us and ask that you would, that you would give us a fresh generosity that we would be willing to forgive, to restore, and that you would give us a fresh humility, that we would be willing to come and be restored, both to our neighbor and to you. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.